What's going on, everyone? I'm Paul LaMonica from the Loda High Podcast, and in this week's episode, I'm joined with current University of North Carolina midfielder Kerrigan Miller. Kerrigan played her first four years of college across at the University of Southern California, where she was an All-American and was named Pac-12 Midfielder of the Year twice. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Kerrigan decided to take her talents down to Chapel Hill, where she was greeted with a loaded UNC roster that has firepower from top to bottom and looks destined for greatness. Kerrigan and I spoke about her time at USC, you know, what it was like playing lacrosse on the West Coast, and how she and her teammates helped grow the game of lacrosse. After my interview with Kerrigan, I break down the games from this weekend and week two of college lacrosse. I'll give you the stats from the games, stuff that I noticed, and at the end, I'll give you my three big takes for the coming weeks of college lacrosse. Make sure to go follow Kerrigan on Instagram, and be sure to go follow the Load of High podcast on Instagram and Twitter to get updates on what's going on in the lacrosse world, as well as to see who future guests of the show will be. Hope you guys enjoy the show, and let's get right into it. The wizard with a lacrosse stick, the Dumbledore of women's lacrosse, UNC midfielder Kerrigan Miller. Kerrigan, what's going on? How are you? Love the intro. That was good. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Where are you right now? <laughs> right now I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in my lovely room. Um, yeah, just hanging out. Thanks for having how's me. We- how's- yeah, for sure. Uh, how's the weather down there? Actually, it snowed last night, believe it or not. I know. And when it snows down here, everybody, like, nobody knows what to do. Everyone goes crazy. Was it, uh, was it gone by, like, later in the day, or was it? Oh, yeah. But by the time we left for practice, it was completely gone. Unlike, you know, where you're at, where it just keeps snowing. Just keeps on snowing. It never, it never goes away. And it's not like, uh, it's not like it'll go away by the afternoon. It's here for, like, a week or two, and then the ice, the ice, uh, the ice stays for a while. So it's tough, but yeah, it is what it is. It's, it's New York weather. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the best, but you got to live with it. You and, appreciate uh, it once you leave. Yeah, yeah. Because if you, cause I don't know if I could do like 365 of just warm weather all day. I don't know if that could be my thing. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think about that when you, uh, either in UNC or when you were down in Cali? I mean, I'm never going to complain about, you know, sunshine all the time, but it did you start to miss um, like the changing of seasons. There's, there is none of that. So that is definitely something when I was in like down here this fall, you started to see like the leaves change and it get colder. And I was like, wow, like I forgot that I haven't experienced the fall in, you know, four years. So that was pretty cool to say. Yeah. The anticipation, I got to say when my brother, so my brother lives in Los Angeles. So he he's been there for like five years and whenever he comes home for like Christmas or like any other holiday when it's uh, in the winter, he's just a big baby about the cold. And it's really because like he never, he used to like never wear scarves and gloves. So now when he comes back, he's always like bundled up. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Christmas story? It's yeah. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. the brother Ralphie and he, he's like the mom bundles it up, bundles yeah. him up and he's like waddling around. That's what he looks like when he comes out of the car for the first time. Oh my so. God. That's amazing <laughs> yeah he's a big baby. I, I, think he'll, I, don't, I don't think he'll appreciate that when he listens to it but <laughs> anyways anyways Kerrigan uh you mind if I ask you a couple questions about uh where you're from please bring it on let's go so, so I oh yeah sorry. go ahead go ahead so no, where are you I from where are you from <laughs> there you go um I'm from Long Island New York originally specifically uh Bayport Blue Point is my high school when did you first start getting into lacrosse I started playing when I was uh, really young. I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if I could put an age on it, but my two older sisters played um, and I was just like absolutely infatuated with them. So 
whatever they did, I did, and just started picking up a stick, going to their practices, and just never stopped. <laughs> did you play any other sports growing up, or was it just uh, strictly lacrosse lacrosse for you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I played, I love soccer. I still love soccer, but I actually played soccer more competitively than I played lacrosse, especially when I was really young. And then, you know, you see it like with a lot of kids now, it's like you get to a point where you, your coaches or maybe you yourself need to like ask yourself what, which way you want to go. Um, so my soccer coach had said to me once I'd come late to soccer practice. And this was like the second time this week because I was coming from lacrosse practice. And he was like, right now, make a decision. Do you want, you know, do you want to go on this premier soccer team or do you want to keep missing for lacrosse? And I was like, yep, I'll just go play lacrosse. <laughs> and he was like, good, what the right. heck? Good choice, good choice. <laughs> and I feel soccer especially is just so crazy about the whole club circuit. I know people always say club club lacrosse is crazy, uh, club lacrosse, but it's only in the summer and the fall. But soccer, it's isn't it like year round, 24-7? Oh, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's totally a commitment. And, you know, the, a, a ton of like lacrosse is, you have your hotbeds for lacrosse. Soccer is not only like spread across the nation, it's, it's, you know, international. So yeah. super competitive and, you know, you need to keep up with that stuff. But I really just fell in love with lacrosse and just like didn't want to stop. So went that route and don't regret it. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about lacrosse tournaments is that you only have to go to maybe like three different places. It's either New Jersey, Maryland, maybe if you go to Florida and Long Island. So you don't have to, it's all, all across I-95. So it's all just like one straight line for the entire summer that you don't, you don't have to go anywhere else, which is good. But soccer, I mean, I, I know my buddy's like always out in like California. Mm -hmm. I think he like went to Oregon once just all over the place. And, and yeah. he can't even, yeah. And then like, he can't even play for like our school team, which is kind of crazy that it's. Oh my gosh. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of stinks. Yeah. It's I like, think. I, I it's think not fun high at school, that point. Yeah, I think high school sports and like playing with your best friends and like just like playing for your town. I think that's like the best thing ever. Like even playing high school soccer. I loved it. It was the best. Yeah, because you have no fans if you're uh, if you're playing. It's only college coaches and then crazy parents. And you have, yeah, you, have, you don't have your buddies watching you or you like that you go to school with, which is true. Like, oh, or like, yeah, even just the pride of like representing your town, like. I love where I come from. I love my high school and my friends back home. So like one of the biggest and the high school I went to, like I'm one of five. So all my siblings obviously went there, um, but my dad also went to school there. So it's just kind of like a pride thing. And yeah, it's a tradition. 100%. It's like you want to carry on the tradition, which is what like, you know, playing in any sport and you get to throw on your jersey for your town. It's always cool. And, you know, growing up, who were some of your like favorite athletes that you like to watch either in the sport of lacrosse or just uh, like professional athletes in general? Mm, good one. Good question. Um, well, when I was really into soccer, I really, I loved Mia Hamm. Like I remember I went, me and my um, soccer buddy went to one of her games and we stayed after for like five hours just to get an autograph. And she signed like one of my shoes. I still had the shoe. I was like so obsessed with her. Um, so definitely me, Ham, Kobe Bryant, definitely huge Kobe Bryant. My whole family was. And we actually named our dog Kobe, which is, he's a cutie. Um, 
Who else, man? I don't think I had a, a ton of um, idols within the game besides my two older sisters until I got older and like, you know, was more educated on it. And obviously now with like social media and stuff like this, like the more publicity that lacrosse gets now, you know, younger girls are able to have idols in the game, which I think is awesome. So going back to you saying me, what she sign again? What was she, uh... Like one of my little sneakers, like my sneakers was like, my foot was so small. That's how I know how young I was. So I got to show you something really quickly. It's my, um... so I went to a Yankees game once and it was like Aaron Judge's rookie season. You know who Aaron Judge is? Oh, yeah. yeah. So he was had like a 50 home run season. And wow. my friend, my friend um, got tickets to go like on like right above uh, right above the third baseline. And he's like, just bring a baseball with you just in case. So I grabbed any baseball that was just randomly no. in my dad's uh, in my dad's baseball, like our that like all my brothers use. So I didn't get a nice baseball. And Aaron Judge ended up signing this grimy, like let 15, me see that. Oh my gosh. His grimy 15-year-old softball, uh baseball. That's awesome. Yeah, it was like that's sick. Because when I came home and I showed my brother, he's like, You use the worst ball out of all the baseballs we have in our house. We have fifteen hundred of them, and you decide to use the grimiest one that you can find. That's you couldn't get a nice one. It makes it (laughs) it makes it more authentic. I was because I was so happy when I got it. I was like, I got Aaron Judge's autograph. I'm like, I'm the sickest, cool person in the world. And then everyone's yelling in my family about it. So like, why'd you get this <laughs> disgusting baseball to use? You could have, we've had like, we have like, my brother was a big uh, baseball, like collector, like baseball getting autographs and stuff. So he had like 15 of just like nice shiny balls that like yeah. never been touched before used. And I just picked the most random one. But I think it's good. Like you said, it's kind of cool that it's got like this dirty look to it yeah and and like the biggest thing he was upset about is that it could have been like sold because i remember my buddy was telling me he said that they were going for like 200 a 200 piece assigned aaron judge autograph and i told my brother's like they're going for 200 he's like that's going for five cents on on any (laughs) ebay market right now so he's like it looks like you faked it (laughs) yeah it's like you it's gonna look like you faked it it's gonna fade out right away it was a whole commotion oh my god no keep in my room because i still think it's a pretty good thing yeah but did you watch it yeah you go definitely ahead, can't ahead. sell it. You definitely can't sell that. That's like memorabilia that you keep for sure. Yeah, you have to keep it. It's but I, I, I like the old look of it. I like the, you know, grunginess of it. Mm-hmm. Forget it's, what your brother's you, saying. You ever seen the Sandlot before? Of course. So, it's like when Small's, uh, Small's like Baby Ruth, just some random ball I got. Babe Ruth, and they have to get the ball. It's a disgusting ball. So some, it's kind not like that, but you know, similar similar stories. But uh, what about you? Uh, root for any sports teams, or are you just strictly uh, just uh, admire like uh, soccer players or lacrosse players? No, I'm a I'm big New York sports fan. Um, but it, I don't know that stuff because when I was at in LA, like I loved watching the Lakers, but I don't want to be a bandwagon, but it's tough being a Knicks fan until recently, honestly. Pretty, pretty good. Um, They're playing very good re- recently. They really are. I know. I've been breaking out my Knicks sweatshirt more and more often now. Um, I'm Yankees fan. I'm Giants fan. I'm an Islanders fan. And you could say a Knicks fan. Fair enough. Okay. I mean, <laughs> when you were when you first got to LA, but Lakers were pretty terrible 
they weren't mm-hmm. that good. So you could have, you honestly could have gotten away with it if you really True. wanted to. It's true. okay if you want to leave the next. It's been a no, top I'll, couple years. I'll, I'll stay. I'll stay true to my New York roots. Fair, good, good, good answer. <laughs> and going back to lacrosse, uh, who were some players that? Uh, who did you try and like emulate your lacrosse game after when you were young? Um, hmm. I would say the I went to the national championship in Stony Brook, not the more recent one. Like back in the day, I think, I can't remember who was in it, but I remember Syracuse was in it. And I watched Michelle Tumalo in person for the first time. And I was like, this girl is a stud, you know? She's, although she's an attacker and I, I played midfield and I did at the time, she just was such a workhorse. Like there was nothing, she was all over the field. Like whether you're watching a play here and then turn around and then look again, like she was everywhere. So I was, I remember watching that game with my dad and I was like, this girl's like unbelievable. And she's like, yeah, you know, she's working. She's working hard for her teammate. So I definitely admired that kind of play. And that's definitely taken, um, you know, into my game and how I want to play and be all over the place, just like she was. Um, As I got older and like knew more people in the sport, I definitely Michelle Tumalo, but also one of my coaches now at UNC is Emily Garrity and she plays very similarly, but in the midfield, um, it's less, less fancy tricks like Michelle Tumalo, but she just gets the job done. She, she works within the thirties of the field. She's like very, like, she's like a hustler. Like she'll make those yeah, yeah, yeah. plays that like not, maybe don't get like noticed or go viral, but they're the plays Workhorse. that, yeah, exactly. like a workhorse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's the most important player on the field is the guy mm-hmm. that does all the dirty work and gets the ground balls and stuff like that. The Swiss Army knives, because like you said, she's all over the field, so you have to do everything, which is what every lacrosse player should be, but obviously that's not the case. But you know, exactly. the Swiss Army knives are the people who changed who really do change the game in altogether if it's like, you know wherever you're playing if it's a national championship just a regular season game if you just keep playing that same like way of just wanting to do being good a little bit being good at a little bit of everything kind of like a master of non-jack of all trades sorry i'm going off on a rant about like those no i honestly love that term swiss army knife that's awesome i'm definitely going to use that from now on I call I I brought it up before and I I was I was inter, interviewing Paul Carcaterra and so I I like said to him like so you're like a Swiss Army knife he's like he like paused for a second and he's he like, like thought about it and he's like he started nodding on he's like yeah like a Swiss Army knife I'm gonna start using that now so every yeah, I always I, like I always use that term I think it's I think it's a cool term Swiss Army knife I think you gotta yeah you gotta coin that because you're like I'm gonna take that and then you know. They're yeah, going to be like, sure. where'd you think of that? I'll be like, I made it up. <laughs> made it myself. <laughs> and what do you think was like grow like playing lacrosse uh, in high, either in high school or just youth? What do you think was your go-to move as a, as a midfielder that you would try? Like, what was your ideal area of the field that you wanted to be in that you had the most success in? That's tough. Sometimes I don't even know. Like sometimes like I'll watch film of practice and I'm like, sometimes I don't even know why or how I do some things you know and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't um damn I would say you know what I think in high school we learned I really learned how to be like a better defender um I would say myself I'm, I'm more of a defensive midi than anything 
but I would, I definitely just learned how to be a better defender, how to, we worked a lot of, I can like see our practices right now. We worked a lot of like taking charges and stuff like that. And um, how to like mesh your attackers up basically. So I would say, I know it's not really an answer, but I guess I really learned how to be a good defender. That's good. That's a good answer. I like that. That's good. You don't always hear that. You always hear like, oh, like a, a split dodge and then shoot it down from 15 yards. I like that answer. That's a good, that's a unique answer. So if you didn't have to play, okay. if you could, if you didn't have to play any other position besides midi or D midi, what do you think it would be? Oh God, I know for a fact I could never play goalie. Like, oh my gosh, my heart goes out to all the screws loose. They have a bunch of, they, they have, they have screws loose. They're psychos. I couldn't do it. Like I have so much respect for them. Like some of these girls, even in pra- every day in practice, even when we're behind the net, I'm like, you know, like dodging things and they just take it. You know, I don't even, can't even get me started. I would, I would play defense for sure. Cause I, yeah. You like the greatness it, of defense? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get um, riled up on defense for sure. Okay. I like that. That's a good answer. Okay. And uh, during your summers, what was your recruiting process like and why did you end up choosing USC? Um, wow. Now it feels like I haven't got asked this question in a while. It feels like I'm old. This is long ago. But um, I committed to USC in November of my sophomore year. So I went on a lot of trips that summer before and basically my dad was really awesome. He was like, wherever you could possibly see yourself going, let's just go, let's just check it out. So I was like, great. So we visited um, a lot of places like all over the country and kind of knew that I wanted to go somewhere warm. So that was a big factor. Um, Like we were just talking about our New York winters, gotta get out of there. But you're a trooper for sticking it out, man. I mean, I got no other choice. What else? (laughs) Um, So warm weather was a huge thing. I also was mature enough to realize that I needed to go to a school with um, really good academics. And I don't think I was the best student in high school, um, but I knew that if I was gonna go somewhere for lacrosse, like I I needed to get a good degree as well. So that was important. Um, And then obviously just competitive athletics and like a university that was supportive of their student athletes, you know? So went, actually visited USC first and then kind of compared every school like back to it um but I, I loved it I mean I loved the campus I loved that it was a new program and um you know they were just starting like the, the year before I went there they had just had their undefeated season and um went to the elite eight I think or the sweet 16 and then unfortunately lost to Syracuse but um I just loved the makings of that program so I felt like it was a really good fit for me for sure and did you did you not mind doing the commute when you'd have to go back home flying a seven hour flight? Well, okay, like you said before, when you were saying, you know, how nice it is that all the lacrosse tournaments in the summer are all on the East Coast. It's like, but you're on the LIE or the you know that Southern State for hours in traffic. So, you know, six hours in a car ride versus six hours on a flight, it didn't really bother me. I hate flying. I think I don't, I don't, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of flying. I just don't like the, don't like it. 
just don't like that you have to get there three two two hours before maybe that's just yeah. my family that we just get there crazy crazy early but no I don't no like it's all the... families okay glad to know <laughs> for I'm, sure I'm glad to know my family's not weird but I don't I don't like flying I just don't like getting on the get, getting through security then you got to wait then you got to it takes like an hour to take off and I've no, just said I hear you yeah I've had some bad experiences on planes because I used to, during my, during my summers, when I was a kid, my mom, we, uh, we used to go to Italy for the entire summer and just live out there. That's for, dope. Yeah. For eight weeks in like the mountainside. So fun. Yeah. I'm jealous maybe. of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think you, it's, it's not the most, it's not, it's not the Italy you're thinking of. It's great. It's great. It's Italy, but it's like the mountainside Italy okay so kind of secluded but beautiful very secluded very secluded that's the best word it's it's just secluded and there's only one there's only one airliner that takes you out of uh jfk to uh to um to yeah to our providence so they obviously just like try and screw everyone over so jack the prices up and the planes are from the 1980s you're like this yeah the planes not only that it's that there's no tvs it's a nine hour oh, yeah. flight and there's no TVs and there's no power outlets. It's not, it wasn't, it's not fun. It's not very fun for me, but moving on from that, I'm sorry that I went on a little rant right there. <laughs> Going back <laughs> no, to, uh, you know, recruiting, being the number one recruit in your class, did you ever feel any pressure in that? And, you know, having to perform like you were one of the, like the best player in your grade? Um, that was a good, really good question. Um, I don't know if I was ever, like scared of the pressure I was more like grateful for you know for the pressure and just kind of embraced it because like not a lot of people like I, I worked my butt off in high school you know like I was honored to be the number one recruit but um I knew that having that title meant that every other girl in the nation you know what was gunning for where I was at so that kind of motivated me um not so much as like a pressure thing just more so like motivating you know um but no I just kind of was grateful to be where I was at and um didn't really make me scared it just kind of motivated me overall to like want to stay where I was at and just wanted to keep getting better individually and you know with my team did you ever like if you weren't performing the way you know you felt like you were did you ever feel nervous in that like people would keep your eye on you and that you know, if Kerrigan Miller wasn't performing that, you know, why is she being named like number one recruit? Did you ever have that kind of fear in high school? I mean, I don't think I had the fear that happened that a hundred percent, whether I knew it about it or not, there was definitely people who watched me and were like, this is the number one recruit. And you know, whether I was having a, a good game or a bad game, like it is what it is. That's what happens. People, you know, can watch LeBron James and some people might say, Oh, like what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah go down on their play as well it's just what's really important to you you know what I mean like for me anyone who had you know really the time to talk smack about you know whether I deserved it or not that didn't matter to me like whether I had a bad day or a good day either way it's a learning opportunity for me to get better you know what I mean so just kind of taking it and I really honestly like even when I like was named the number one recruit I didn't really it wasn't like yes like I did it and like now I'm good it was kind of like wow that's like I was really shocked I was like that's pretty awesome but that it didn't it's kind of just like background noise it didn't really change a lot for me it's a good mentality I like that 
And when you headed to USC, like going go to your fall ball practices, what were some immediate differences you realized that like from the transition from high school to a uh, college game? Um, I mean, immediately for any freshman, there's a lot of changes from the high school game to the college game rules wise for sure, but pace of play is much quicker. Um, some of the things you can get away with in high school will not fly in, um, in college. Um, I can remember, you know, like when you would take a dodge in high school, you could probably get in a little closer to the crease and put the ball wherever you wanted it to go. Maybe have some extra time to throw a fake in like college is quick. When you get in that eight, you better believe there are seven girls crashing on you, you know? Um, so just kind of adjusting to that, like the pace of play and, and knowing that like where I was at was good for high school, but like, we're in a different, it's a different game now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what was like your kind of realization moment that was like, holy crap, like now I'm playing college lax. Like I got to step me either got to step my game up or like, this is, this is the real deal now. Um, I definitely think like when I was at USC, it wasn't the Pac-12 yet, which is crazy. It was, um, the Mountain Pacific League. So some of the teams we played, I could still get away with things that I um, did in high school. And, but other teams, like when we would play Stanford was always a hard game, or we would play Florida as one of our out of league games. That's a game where you're like, okay. Like I remember I would be playing girls that I played against in, in high school that were obviously the best on their team and some of the best players out of Long Island. But um, you know, for sure that like, it's a, we're at a new level right now. Like you just kind of have to step it up. I don't think there was any point where I was like, whoa, had like a massive realization or if I did, I don't remember it, but it's just kind of like little by little getting a little bit better. And then um, sure you're going to mess up, but realizing like, okay, now I got to step my game up just a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. And being in college in the West Coast, especially in Los Angeles, nice and sunny. What was uh, what you really like about it, or like what were some pros and cons, or big differences that you realized from New York to uh, Los Angeles? Um, definitely moving. Once I got to LA, like a few weeks into my freshman year, it was like wow. Like you talk about that, like whoa, like that was that having me for sure being on the West Coast. Um, like massive culture shock not only with myself, but our whole freshman class was like, whoa, you know what I mean? Cause yeah, most yeah. of us were, were, from, were from the East coast. So it was, I think it was tough at first. Like I'm someone who like really has never gotten homesick. Like I remember I went to a few camps like when I was trying to get recruited and just like wouldn't contact my parents for days. And they were like, are you alive? Like what's going on? Um, but I for sure got homesick when I was at USC. Um, but it was nice having other girls who were from New York and you know New Jersey and East Coasters who like were going through the same thing. I'm thinking about like when people from the East Coast go down to like California, it's kind of like that scene in uh, La La Land where everyone's dancing and everyone's happy and people are like right. so, conf- yeah, people are so confused. Like, why is everyone happy all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the weather's always nice. So that's awesome. Like awesome. Um, but it's just, it's just like, it's also so different because we're used to these, you know, East Coast cold winters where you're, you know, it's like snowing out. You got to shovel your field before practice because there's snow on it. And over there, it's like, you know, 
everyone's skateboarding around and just have a different um, different perspective on life for sure, which was really cool to be around. Yeah, definitely. And I think one big thing about, I think that I love about East Coast and like New York lacrosse, uh, especially in the winter is like the winter league, the winter league games that you have in like bubbles and stuff playing in, but like playing in those huge dome bubbles is, is always like a cool thing that, oh, I, yeah. that you can't really replicate for some reason. It's just like a weird experience that you could only have. Like, I don't know why I love play, why everyone loves playing them, but like if, if, that wasn't part of like my lacrosse experience. And I think you could attest the same then like it wouldn't be, it definitely would not be the same. For sure. I think actually you just remind me of one comparison I could make from just my experience playing lacrosse on the East coast versus the West. Um, before the winter, before I left for college, me and my little sister uh, started, we just joined this like box lacrosse league because we had time and you know, we were like, why not? So we joined this box lacrosse league and it was, you definitely played in one of these. It's like an indoor, like almost like a hockey rink, but um, you know, it's all boarded up, whatever, inside. Um, concrete nice. floor, concrete. Yep, concrete floor, you're wearing sneakers, you're like bounce passing, like throwing BTVs on these little goals. So fun. Um, so I came Until to- you fall, until you fall and you get hit and then you break your arm or something. True, true. Um, so then fast forward, I'm at USC. And um, I was doing an internship over the summer. I think it was either my sophomore or my junior year. So I was, I was staying out there. Um, and me and one of the girls on my team were like, all right, we're bored. Let's join this box lacrosse league, like down by the beach. We're like, okay, we didn't know anyone. We just went down there. Um, we actually used our goalies helmet and like equipment. And I don't know how we had like a boy stick, but we go down there and we meet all these like awesome people, but it's outside. It's like same little hockey rink, but outside near the beach, it's, you know, 80 degrees out. And I was like, wow, this is like, that's the closest like difference in comparison that I can make, but it was, it was just awesome. And it was cool to see that many people who knew the sport and were involved in the community, but on the West coast, you know what I mean? Yeah. And is that something like that's really cool about, especially playing lacrosse is, heavily east it's like all the hotbeds are on the east coast and that's just about it maryland new jersey new york connecticut and boston seeing that like same culture like in a a complete different part of the country is that's just something cool to see about how much the game is growing Mm -hmm. 100 percent, and that's also a big thing that drove me to go to usc like the startings of the usc program and like i remember i was talking to one of the uh one of the seniors when I was like looking to go there and she was like, yeah, like, it's crazy. Like people will walk past our, our practices and be like, what, what sport is this? Like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, wow, that's, that's like nuts because you would never, that would never happen. Never, you, never you know happen. what I mean? Never and happen. Sh- and sure enough, my freshman year, we were practicing and someone walked by or yeah, yeah. Someone walked by and they were like, so is this like, you know, soccer in the air? And I was like, this is lacrosse. So it's just, it's just actually wild, but nowadays you see it. And like, I still keep in touch with some of the girls, the younger girls that I trained out there and it's just growing. Like there's emergence of just club programs out there and girls that fall in love with the sport and love it. It's like so cool to see. And who do you think is, especially when you were playing at USC, who was a big ambassador of lacrosse who was always like trying to help run clinics with like uh local local high schools or local youth programs mm-hmm. at USC um well I think my coach you know Lindsay's obviously 
the coach at USC and she connected us a lot with um, just like the surrounding communities. Like we would, every year we do um, a clinic with the girls at Compton High School, which was just awesome. Like these, to see these girls like light up at a sport that they were like just getting used to, you know, or just even learned about. Um, but all the older girls, I think, like with the alumni at USC, like would do their part in trying to spread the game. And honestly, like the better our team got, the more we were essentially growing the game. Like, like I saw from my freshman year to my senior season at USC, like even the fan base of that were at our games, like grew exponentially. And honestly, that's a lot, a lot due to um, Katie DeFeo and her videos, you know? Yeah, Kate, I, I was going to bring that up. Katie DeFeo, because no other like college lacrosse player was doing that. So mm-hmm. I always watch your her vlogs and I always saw you guys on it. And I was like, this is cool. Even though this is girls lacrosse, I don't even play it. It's like, this is this is actual lacrosse. This is like something cool. So everyone, a lot of people used to watch, a lot of lacrosse players, high school, college players used to watch Katie DeFeo vlogs because she was the first person and she rev- really revolutionized that. And totally. I can honestly say she was like one of the founding fathers of you know doing lacrosse vlogs with all the other guys on the East Coast. And I wanted to bring this up with you, like, you know, going like, if you go fast forward 10, years 20 years in the future having all those memories on you know a youtube link do you ever think about like how cool that is that you get to relive some of those experiences so much so much and before she had started her blocks we and we talk about this all the time and honestly when we whenever we finish this and it's just publicized i'm sending this to her because she's gonna absolutely love it but before she had started the blogs i when I, i was playing for team usa on the u19 team when i was a junior and they were like, we need someone to run the GoPro. And I was like, yeah, I know how to work a GoPro, I'll do it. And I had no idea what they were gonna do with it. And so I just took like funny videos of us, like just being absolutely ridiculous. And they ended up making it like a video series of our, um, you know, whatever championship run. And Katie, when I had, when she was looking at USA, I was her like host. And she was like, I saw your videos. And, I, and it is just so funny to see it come full circle. And now like everywhere I go, like, I can tell you the first day that I was at down here in Chapel Hill, someone comes up to me, are you Kerrigan Miller? And I was like, I, yes. And they're like, I saw you on Katie to play with blogs. I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to open up this, uh, sorry, sorry, I cut you off, but I was no, 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 up, please. I was going to open up this, uh, this, um, this uh, podcast before, like I even started corner, I was going to go subscribe and I was going to wanted to see what your reaction was going to be. Sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying? No, 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 that's it. She, it's just, it's just so funny that she at one point was, you know, thought so highly of me because I was, you know, on a GoPro vlog, whatever. And now she has like, you know, some thousand followers. And I, I swear any, even like now when I will go to like um, training weekends for US every single time, oh my God, Kate, you know, Katie DeFeo? Like, it's just unbelievable. She has literally done, you know, so much for this sport, not only on the girl side, but her working with the PLL and doing all that stuff as well. It's, she's like, for sure, one of the pioneers of, of this game. 100%. And that's one thing I love about girls across is that, you know, there are these pockets like either in USC, up in Oregon, you know, Arizona, there's like these division one programs that boys lacrosse doesn't have. And that's something I really love about girls lacrosse is that there is the, there are these hubs all across the country instead of just boys lacrosse where it's just 
up and down I-95. It's just Mm -hmm. Maryland, UNC, Duke, Syracuse. It's just in all in one line. And, you know, girls across just scattered. And I think that's what's really going to help. And I honestly believe that girls across is going to be in the next 10 years more popular than boys across. Not only is it because it's more cost effective for any families because you just need a headgear mm-hmm. and a stick and, you know, boys across is like some thousand dollars to just get any equipment. And sure. it's just a big, inc- it's like, it's, it doesn't take, not saying, but it's just, it doesn't take as much. You just need a, a couple of committed coaches and it could just like grow a program so much is something that I love seeing in girls across. I don't know how you feel about that, but no, it's just something no, I, I love seeing. Absolutely. Um, it's so important. And I think, you know, um, thankfully title nine, like that's big reason why the girls across is, is exploding at all these colleges. Like, you know, it would make a lot of sense for USC, for example, to have a girl women's softball team before they would have a, girls lacrosse team, obviously, you know, softball's very prevalent out on the West Coast versus lacrosse, which is like, at least years ago, wasn't. Um, but it's, it's, it's awesome to see the growth of that program. And even from my freshman year with the Mountain Pacific League, you got like a few schools who have it, but like, you know, aren't fully, as fully funded as a school like USC was. And then now to see like the Pac-12 conference, you know, and even, you know, a full Pac-12 conference, like a, a loaded Pac-12 conference. Yeah, for sure. And even seeing them be like Stanford, Arizona State's got like a ton of girls on the Yellow Jacket side going there now. Um, and they, you know, they were the newest addition to the Pac-12, all of that growth. And even on the boys side, like Denver is obviously a competitive program. Like I just Utah. think more, more and more colleges that adapt to this then it's going to, you know, kids are going to see it and then it's going to be implemented from like the grassroots, which is amazing. So that's going to be like my audiogram of what I'm going to use to trailer this podcast. Just want to let you cool. know, that probably That was probably the, one of the best things that I've, that's been said on this podcast about, you know, growing the game of lacrosse and you're hundred percent right in everything you said. And I really think girls lacrosse is just going to take off. And I'm not just saying that to say that I, I've been saying this and I really think, and it's upsetting that women's lacrosse isn't like college lacrosse isn't as broadcasted as boys lacrosse because it's just as talented and it's just as fun to watch as any other it just as any other sport I know people say like women's basketball and men's basketball is completely different it's very similar boys and girls lacrosse and I really love it. and there's a lot of create there's some more there's some, some places with way more creativity mm-hmm. in women's lacrosse than there's is in men's lacrosse I'm thinking about Izzy McMahon and all her crazy celebrations and all the crazy stuff oh my god she's amazing and all the crazy um, no, stuff I'm, she used to do. Yeah, go ahead. Go first, ahead. I just like, first of all, am I the first girl to be on your podcast? Yeah, yeah. So that's like awesome. First of all, that's like definitely what going to be one of my claims to fame now. But even for you, like even to reach out, like once I saw your demo, I was like, this is like a no brainer. Like this stuff is is more helpful than you know for the women's game, even like, you know, what you're doing and the fact that you would reach out to a girl to learn more about that sport. Like that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I kind of want to move on this because I have a couple of questions. I just want to ask about the West coast and kind of like the culture at USC. So one, one thing I want to ask is when you got to USC, what was the, uh, this is a weird question. What was the uh, first place someone told you to go get a good bite to eat? Oh, okay. No brainer. So we lived, I lived in a, my sophomore year, I lived in a house with all the lacrosse girls and across the street from us there was this like taco stand like literally i'm not even kidding in the parking lot of a true value 
And all of the seniors were like, you've got to go to this. You've got to go to this. And I was like, okay. And then sure enough, like people from other teams, like the, the football guys we were hanging out with, everyone's like, have you gone to the taco stand? Like you live so, you live so close. You live so close. And I was like, dang, I really got to go. And I went with um, one of my roommates once. Best tacos I've ever had in my life. Okay. And you like, gotta tell, you got to tell me what's in the tacos now. Dude, I don't, I, they make it right in front of you. It's in the parking lot. They got a little steamer thing. I, like it's, it's just like, what you see is what you get. Amazing tacos though. I like, I'm, I wish I could replicate it or like explain it better, but you just got to go. Out of body. It's like an out of body experience eating these tacos. It was amazing. And I was, I was upset that I even doubted it, you know, to start, but don't, don't, don't knock until you try it. It's great. Would you say that like after a long practice or, you know, a long day of school, is that the first place you would, is that like your go-to spot if you want, if you were just starving and you got to go eat something? No, I wouldn't say that because you know what, I'm a big foodie and it depends what I'm in the mood for, you know, like sometimes I like cooking meals. I've also like really love, um, have you read Kava? Yes. Yes. Like oh, they, the have, they have yeah, in New York? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Love Kava. And I got introduced to that at USA. Um, I found a love for like spicy food and Mexican food when I was out there. So I'm appreciative of that. But dude, I love Italian food. Like it's so good. That's the best. best. Yeah. You can't, it's just, it's just, it's just, just, you can't, you can't compete over anything. (laughs) And I, I might be a little biased saying that, but you just can't you can't you know yeah you cannot italian sunday dinners pasta meatballs chicken parm mm. nothing you know mm-hmm. absolutely sausage and peppers Oof, nothing nothing in paris yeah and i can this is a good segue so i've oh i've been interested i've been asking a lot of people i've had on my podcast about you know diets and like playing division one lacrosse when you uh when you first got to uh usc or during when you were playing at usc did you try and keep to a strict diet and what you like try and track and what you were eating and make sure you were you know getting the getting the necessary uh stuff in your body yeah i'm, I'm first of all i'm really glad that you asked that because i think this is like a lot of th- this is a big thing that girls struggle with, um, especially athletes, especially their first year of college. Because when I had come from, like when I was in high school, I was I was working out and lifting and you know staying fit, whatever eating. But like my mom would make me meals, you know. So it was just like a good balance. Then you go to college and you have to make, make your own meals. Plus you're you're putting on muscle and lifting weights that are nothing like you've ever done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Plus plus weights, plus practice, like there's, it's a different kind of strain on your body. So I definitely struggled my freshman year with like, I was like, wow, like, I just feel like I can't run. Like I just put so much um, muscle on my legs. You know what I mean? But my, I never really changed my eating habits. And honestly, my eating habits as a freshman, like stress me out. Like I would just eat out or like go to the dining hall and get like 12 cookies. Like it was bad. Um, and I probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but whatever. So after that, I kind of learned, okay, like I definitely need to relax. Um, And then I kind of stuck to like my own kind of regimen, but I was, I've never been really um, super strict with myself because honestly, I love food and I never want to tell myself that I can't eat anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you think was a, I know we spoke about this before I started recording, but what was a, uh, 
what was the food that you were really good at cooking, you know, after, at, at, during school or at, when you were at school that, um, that was, uh, that always like filled you up or was always very nutritious. Okay. Oh my gosh. If my, my, um, roommates at USC would always make fun of me because I'd be like, really want to be a good cook. And I've tried really hard. I like look up the recipes, whatever. Um, but they would always call me Bobby Flay because I would have like, I, just try to do too much, you know, like I'd have like this going on. I'd make like chicken franchise with like Brussels sprouts and broccoli and like, you know, something else and a side. And they're like, whoa, like Bobby plays in the kitchen. Everybody get out. Um, but I, you know, I thought, I thought my food was good. I definitely, I love eating um, Brussels sprout chips. Like, have you ever gone to a sushi place or Chinese place? And they have like Brussels sprout chips as a appetizer. Yeah, yeah, they put it like, or they put it like next to the sushi, and you have them. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm all right with them. I, I I'll eat them because they're on the table and I'm hungry, okay. but I don't love them. But I, I do eat them. Yes. Okay. Well, I was obsessed with them, so I decided to recreate them. Um, and they take a while to make because you got to peel off the Brussels sprouts, but love them. I think, like, I know your friends were making fun of you at USC, but cooking is one of the most essential things like that people need to do that no one does that no one mm-hmm. no one likes cooking i i always get me from my house too so we're in, the, we're in the same boat as that that i always like to cook and stuff like that and then i'm really, really all right so what's your dish what's your which what are you on right now so i i'm a big breakfast guy i always i am a firm believer you have to start the meal off with a you have to start the day off with a very good meal and 100 you cannot skip breakfast. I don't. I don't like skipping breakfast because if Never. I skip breakfast, my day is completely ruined. Even if even if it's like I have school in the morning, I will make mm-hmm. sure I eat breakfast. And I hundred so percent. It depends on if I have time or not, but I want to make sure I get a lot of carbohydrates in and some protein just to make sure that I'm filled out through uh, filled up for the filled up for the day, and that I have a lot of energy that burns me until I have practice mm-hmm. or I'm going to go work out, and then I go eat a protein bar or you know have pretzels. But what I usually do. I call it like my special. So I do three scrambled eggs with uh, with some nice cheddar cheese. So I scramble the eggs with cheese in them. Oh, nice. I make, I make my own hash browns and wow. I cook the hash browns. And then I top it off with a nice New York bagel because, you know, nice. like a nice, nice, you know, yeah. I, I've thing. heard every single, every, everyone I've spoken to from New York or New Jersey says the biggest thing they cannot get is a good bagel, no matter where oh they are. Oh my gosh, no. It's a fortunate. It is. I like, I don't understand. If it's the water, let's bring some water down here and make some New York bagels. Like, exactly. It's always the way they say it's the water, which fine, how, but there's gotta come, be a way to put some water on a truck or something or just ship it out. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, how does that, you know, I guess water is really bad everywhere else. I, I yeah, but understand. like, you don't really like, like I drink tap water here sometimes and it doesn't, you know, like, okay, New York tap water is like, pure. It's like Poland's, it's yeah. Poland Spring, basically. It is. You know what I mean? Get it straight um, from so the, I, you get it straight from the springs. It's crazy. Yeah, hundred percent. But obvi- uh, you know what? Honestly, the water out in LA, it's a, obviously a different landscape. LA is basically a desert, but the water was definitely very different out there. So, okay, I understand it's hard to ship the water, you know, cross country, fine. But like we're in North Carolina, it's not that far. It's not that far, and still, no New York bagels. I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's tough getting New York. I don't. What about pizza? Did you ever find? Did you find a good pizza spot? I did actually. I, yeah, there's a good pizza spot down here. Thank goodness. None of that in California. None. Yeah, I heard you can't get you can't get a good slice of pizza in California. It's mm-hmm. really 
it's really just, you know, New York tri-state area that you can just get good food. I think it's just good food in general that you get, only get in the New York tri-state 100%. Area. You can walk into a gas station in New York and get a nice, you know, sliced pepperoni or like a cheese pizza. And you're like, oh my God, so good here. I mean, actually that's a lot. I did find a good pizza spot here. Thank goodness. But mm-hmm. no, yeah, we definitely um, are blessed with great pizza and bagels. We are. We have to. It's a. It's a privilege that we, mm-hmm. we can never take. We can never take granted of something like that. And I'm probably going to have to deal with the same exact hardship when I hit the college. But I'm just sure. trying to savor it, savor it as much as I can. But uh, moving on from that, um, about the. I always want to know, like, about the. I know the USC locker room was. Uh, USC team was very enthusiastic, and you guys seemed like you had a lot of fun just going by the Katie DeFeo videos. Mm-hmm. What was a after a huge win? What was a big uh, song that would go in the locker room that you know you guys would go crazy to oh gosh nothing that's um maybe clean enough to say <laughs> like there's the, you know there's like explicit songs whatever I don't think there was a one song that we would like go to but there's definitely a playlist where we would just go absolutely wild to and you're right dude our USC team was um nuts and I loved every single one of them, like my own sisters, but they were wild together, especially after big wins. Okay. You can't, you, can you narrow it down to like a couple songs? I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. You yeah, could just say the okay. name of the song. I don't, uh, or like the, the artist, or maybe you can't, I don't even know. If, if okay. You know. There was one song that actually um, a guy, a rapper, like at USC, like some of the classes that you're in, you're next to, some up and coming rapper and you don't even know, you know? So one of my teammates was like, oh my gosh, like a kid from my class made this song, like let's put it on. And it was a banger, but I can't remember the name of the song or the artist. So I'm gonna have to, maybe I'll email it to you. Maybe I'll find it after this. I know West Coast is very big on the EDM, on that EDM train of just saying. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not really an EDM kind of girl. I'm like an R&B rap, but I'm also like, into the oldies big rock fan not so much like rock like not like rock but like classic like bruce springsteen rock okay yeah i can get behind that i can get behind bruce i do like country but um a lot of r&b especially like oldies r&b okay i like that you can't play edm music in the winter it's just so depressing i've kind of realized that myself that because it's like uh, 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 it's just it's just happy music it's just happy okay. music in that like you want to like dance to it and like you know have, yeah. have a good time but then you realize it's five degrees outside and it's dark at you're having a little bit of seasonal depression right now i think you realize it's the second the second we started talking i know First are you gonna be all right over there yeah i'll be fine i'll, be, I'll get through this <laughs> couple more couple more months but yeah i can't really go. i can't really listen to edm in the uh in the winter maybe that's just a me thing but maybe i could listen to it like before a game like if it's on a warm-up i'm that's great yeah but like yeah, i'm never gonna sure. be like riding in my car i don't think like list like bump in edm you know oh that's not me if it's like summertime it's 100 percent me okay so maybe maybe that's just a maybe that's just a me thing me just being you know the weirdo <laughs> no it's probably but, it's probably a universal thing yeah so I wanted to move on and talk about, you know, your 2020 season at USC. You guys were going 6-0. and What do you think you guys were 6-0 and and you, you were, uh, you took down a couple of top, uh, top 20 teams in the country. I want to know what, what do you think was the biggest success in your U.S. in that, in that 2020 season that cut short, that cut, that cut 
that got cut short. Yeah. Uh, what was what contributed to that uh, success that you guys had? Um, sounds really cliche, but honestly, like that 2020 USC team, like whenever I think back and I, I honestly like still keep in touch with my girl, lucky some them like, you know, almost every weekend. And it was just our team chemistry. Like we were just so connected, like from freshmen to seniors, we just, I don't know, like we really had good, um, just like a good connection, like on and off the field. Like there was no, you know, a lot of times you'll see with college teams, like whether it's known or not, like the biggest hardships that can happen is like when you have a clashing like amongst your team, you know? And, and listen, like team chemistry and, and culture is not easy by any means. And, you know, it's pretty common for, it's, it's hard to make 30 girls get along, girls or guys, you know what I mean? Um, but no, our USC team was, we were, we were like one heartbeat, which was a huge, like testament to our success. Um, you know, why do you think you guys were just so close with each other on and off the field? That's a really good question. I think, um, our senior class had gone through a lot together. You know, it's, um, one thing that we really like came together with at USC is like we're a lot of us were East Coast girls and there were some who were West Coast girls too but it didn't really matter because we all kind of like took part in that we went that we went to USA you know um obviously like USC has been like a top 20 team but you know they haven't been in the top one to five in a, in a while and that's honestly like something we prided ourselves on we were like listen, we're all in on this, on this team, on our mission, on what we're going to do, because we know that we can get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like we, we thrived as being that underdog mentality and we all came together with that, which, which was like super unique. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, as the season did cut, cut did, I can't speak today. Got <laughs> so, cut yeah, that's a tough one. As the season got cut short, um, what was going through your head during that, you know, time from March, April, May, June to like about now? And what were you trying to do to just make yourself a better lacrosse player and just mm. stay in contact with your team? Yeah, that was that was heartbreaking when um, we were going to our seventh game of the season in Arizona. And at first we were flying and then COVID news was you know, coming in real time and we ended up driving and we were about an hour and a half, maybe two hours into our trip to Arizona and we turned around and news still wasn't out yet, but I was bawling the whole bus ride home as was, you know, all the seniors. And as soon as we got home and kind of laid our stuff down, we heard the news and my house was full of all seniors. So we just were bawling, you know, we were so in on this season and just like loved every moment of just like playing with each other um that it was it was it was heartbreaking um but we so like a few days after they had told us our season was over um there was news that like domestic travel might have been cut off and they we were going to do a road trip back but then they shut down some major highways so we had to get out of there pretty quick, which was probably like the worst part of it all. Like we couldn't really 
you're like you say goodbye but like you don't know if you're gonna come back to USA or you know what I mean it was just awkward yeah, yeah. so finally I'd, I'd come home and was just finishing my classes and then me and my whole house came back for graduation to USA um, which was you know awesome to be with them again um, and then after that I went home and just kind of USC had or the NCAA had granted our, our year back which was like the best news you know what I mean because we were all on yeah. the edge of our seat like what are we gonna do you know what I mean like that's mm -hmm. not how we're going out um so it was awesome that they gave us a year back and then I just kind of thought about my future was a big thing because months prior like when the season had ended I was trying to find a job I was interviewing I was interviewing actually also with the PLL out in LA which was really cool so maybe would have gotten to um to work with Katie, which would have been awesome. But uh, I was like, okay, what, what can I do next? That's gonna really set myself up for my, for my future and um, allow me to stay in sports, but also be successful and end with the portal. And then now I'm here and the rest is history. And I know a lot of lacrosse players were going through this. How weird was it for you for the first time from between the months of March to June you not playing lacrosse how long was that period of time just like that streak of playing lacrosse from that period of time just snapped yeah it was it was it was weird and I'm really grateful because so my younger sister is a senior in high school right now and she's going to Stanford for lacrosse so she shares this lovely game just as much as I do and she's taller than me stronger than me faster than me so she she's younger than me but she pushes me like no one else so it, thank God I had her because she would get me out of the house. We would go for runs or go with our trainer and we were still able to like keep up with all the cross stuff, um, which was awesome. So I'm thankful to have her around. And, um, and then once we got back to UNC, we took a little break. We weren't practicing for a while, but thankfully um, we were able to practice with our team for most of the fall. So wasn't that that long of a break? I feel like um, I can't really get away from it. I don't know. Like if I'm not doing something for too long, I get like a little antsy, so. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And, you know, as terrible as all this COVID stuff has been, what do you think is one thing that you've learned from it or something that you've uh, gotten better at? Maybe it's in lacrosse or outside of outside of lacrosse, like doing a new hobby or mm -hmm. having a new mindset. What do you think would be for you? I definitely took up a ton of new hobbies, especially while like, being in college right now, it's very different than the past four years. You got more rules, you know, we're not, you're not going out and doing college kids stuff. You're not going to parties, you're not, you know, meeting new people. And for me to be at a new school, I really, I wanted to meet my team and stuff like that. So I was grateful to, to be at practice and be able to hang out with them. But also with my house, we've taken up, we've been painting, um, we've been playing. I just got on Amazon Mexican train. Have you ever played that? No, what is it? Mexican train. You got to just get it on it. It's like a dumb, it's a game with dominoes. And we, when I tell you, like, we'll play this game till like two in the morning and get so heated because it is so intense. Um, so definitely been taking up a lot of new hobbies, but when COVID was like at its prime and I was on Long Island at home, I definitely learned um, like, on, this sounds like such a cliche, but I became, I got like really grateful for, just the time that I had with my family. And like, I've realized that there's a lot of things in my life that I take for granted, like 
there's nothing like getting your season taken away from you. You're like, wow. So like, you know, nothing's really just given to you. You know what I mean? Like I was very yeah. grateful to have, um, to have, to be where I was at, at USC playing lacrosse, getting my degree, you know what I mean? And, um, to have my family around me that everyone was safe. Um, just the, for the time that we spent together, I just got a lot of gratitude for my life and, um, where I was at. And, what uh, what do you think you're looking forward to most in this upcoming 2021 season? Um, playing for sure. Um, it's definitely been a long time coming, you know, since we were actually able to play against other people. We've been doing a lot of inter squad scrimmages and whatnot, but um, just playing with this new group of girls is I'm really excited. We've, you know, I've gotten to um, really challenge myself and and be pushed by my teammates and stuff. So I'm just really getting antsy to get out on the field. Definitely. And my, uh, my last question for you today is, uh, I call it the low to high question. It's a two-part question. So the first part of it is going to be, what do you think have been some lows uh, in your lacrosse career? It could be a, a bad game you lost, a goal you think you wanted to go in. What do you think would be for you? Um, there has been a lot of I don't want to like sound pessimistic, but there's been a lot of lows in my career. Um, teams have been cut from games that I've lost. Um, maybe games that like I've, I've lost my cool or kind of gotten outside of my play or let the game get the better of me and, and uh, just like wasn't myself as a player. Ton of those lows, but um, I'm like, you look back at those, obviously when they happen, you're like, oh my gosh, but as I look back, I'm like, okay, that needed to happen so I could get here. And this needed to happen so I could learn that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So ton of lows. I won't bore you with the details, but. And go right off of that. What have been some of your highs? I would say the people and the places that I've gone because of the sport, total highs for me and all the memories. Like we said before, like the lacrosse community, like there's nothing like it. Like we, that's another thing we're so grateful for. Like getting on this podcast probably would never have happened if the lacrosse community wasn't so tight. And you know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really unique. And for those who don't play lacrosse and really don't understand it, it's really hard to explain it. But I would say that this game has given me a community of people that um, I'm very grateful for, and a lot of them will be my friends for life. Yeah. And you're hundred percent right on how cl- it's just crazy how close the cause you could reach out to virtually anyone in the lacrosse world, if you really wanted to, and they'd be more than happy, more than happy to do it just because you share the same bond holding the stick and play and go out there and play 60 minutes, which is something that, you know, no other sport has. And I, that's mm-hmm. why the beauty, probably the beauty of lacrosse. Yeah. Agreed. hundred percent. Kerrigan, thank you so much for coming on the Low to High podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm really looking forward to watching uh, you play for UNC in 2021. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Of course, of course. All right, take care. Bye. To kick off college across this weekend, we had number five Denver traveling down to Durham, North Carolina to play the number one Duke Blue Devils, possibly the most hyped up team 
of all time, just just because of how many players they brought in. Nine out of their ten top scorers are returning. Basically, their entire defense returns. They bring in a boatload of transfers, whether it's Michael Sowers, Philip Robertson, Mike Adler, as well as their loaded freshman class with Jake Nazo, uh, Aiden Denenza, as well as Brennan O'Neill. Uh, Duke starting attack. I think everyone was interested to see what they were going to do. They had Sowers down at X, and then they had uh, Dyson Williams and Brendan O'Neill on the wings. Uh, no Joe Robertson for Duke. He's still recovering from his torn ACL that he tore back in 2020 right before the season started. But we did get to see his older brother, Phil Philip Robertson, who transferred in with Sowers uh, from Princeton play. So it was really cool to see that built-in chemistry coming in. And I can't wait for Joe to come in. He's a great player. He's a great scorer. So start off the game. Uh, within the first minute, Brendan O'Neill notches in his first ever uh, career goal at, at Duke. It's probably the first of many. It was a nice, uh, nice pass, I believe, by Sowers. I think Sowers assisted uh, Brendan O'Neill in every single one of his goals. So, uh, great, great start for Duke. But Duke, Duke struggle started early when they were not able to win pretty much anything at the face-off X. Denver went on a crazy 7-2 run to start the game off. They were winning every face-off. They had every possession. I mean, Jackson Morrill, Lucas Kotler, uh, Ethan Walker were all just clicking on all cylinders, something that we did not see last week at uh, at their game against Utah. You know, it, their offense was really shaky, so it was really nice to see that they started to click, uh, click for the first time and see that Denver offense that everyone really thought they were going to be and have, you know, have evolved to be. But after that 7-2 run for Denver, Mike Adler gets uh, subbed out for Turner Upgren, who was the goalie last year. Adler just transferred him from St. Joe's, and he got taken out immediately. Like I said, Duke was really struggling at the faceoff X. I want to give my props to Denver uh, faceoff guy Alex Dathakis for a crazy bounce-back game. He he did struggle a little bit. Uh, he didn't struggle. He went 50%. He wasn't really getting any ground balls last week against Utah, so it was nice to see him have a really good game. Uh, at the end of the half, it was 8 for Denver kind of looked like Denver was going to be dominating the uh, the entire game, but the Michael Sowers and Brennan O'Neill uh, show started to heat up. Uh, they um, they had two goals to kick off uh, to kick off the uh, third quarter. Uh, nice feeds from X and Brennan O'Neill was just able to place it top left and have uh, have some nice highlights to put out for his first ever college game. Uh, you know, I got to give a props to Duke's defense. They held Denver to two goals in the second half. They uh, they played lockdown. They were really struggling with their ma- matchups in the first court, uh, first half, and they were able to you know contain contain Lucas Kotler, contain Jackson Morrill from uh, from being really efficient. Uh, you know, Duke started to come back really slowly in the third quarter. They were able to get a couple goals, add a couple more goals, and you know they were able to cut the deficit in the fourth quarter. And then. Uh, Riley Walsh was able to take the lead for them in the fourth quarter, and uh, Duke's uh, the the depth of Duke that everyone was really expecting really did come up clutch. It wasn't a one man show, even though Sowers and O'Neill did dominate. It was really a team effort for Duke. Final score of that game would be Duke twelve, Denver ten. We'll take a look at the stats for Denver first. JJ Silstrop, the man who uh, got on Sports Center last week, had two goals and one assist, and so did Lucas Kotler as well. Uh, Jackson Morrill had a nice hat trick. Ethan Walker with two goals. Uh, like I said earlier, Alex Stathakis had a really good game. Went 19 from 25 at the X. And Jack Hanna, uh, the Denver's best midfielder and probably one of the best midfielders in the country, was scoreless this game. He was not. He wasn't really in his groove. And you know, props to, props to the Duke defense for uh, for shutting him down. Taking a look at Duke, Sean Lowry, uh, Tyler Carpenter, Riley Walsh, Nakai Montgomery, Dyson Williams, and Cam Bredore all had one goal. Uh, Brennan O'Neill. 
uh, capped off his first college game with three goals and an assist. Owen Caputo uh, had two goals, and Michael Sowers had a goal and three assists. But funny thing was that Michael Sowers did not score that goal with his lacrosse stick. It was a pretty uh, pretty nice soccer kick that he got in. But uh, it was a, it was a great way to start off the weekend with that first game. Second game of lacrosse this weekend, we had unranked Towson going down to Charlottesville to play the number six University of Virginia. A couple things to note before the game started is that Virginia's top player, Matt Moore, would not be playing. That came out, I think, like a day before the game happened. And then University of Virginia's second best player, Doc Aiken, would be limited to injury. So it was going to be the young guns that were going to be taking the lead for this UVA team this game. Uh, Connor Schellenberger got his first career start. He was a... Uh, 2019, he was the number one freshman coming into his class. He decided to take a redshirt year because UVA still has a lot of firepower and a lot of depth from that 2019 national championship team. Schellenberger actually scored the first goal of the game. It was a pretty nice goal. It was right off a ground ball. Good 12-yard shot. But in the first quarter, it was a little bit more even than it would be the rest of the game. James Avanzato for Towson uh, had two goals right after Schellenberger notched in his first one, and by the end of the first, it was all tied up. Uh, it was all tied up 4-4. At the start of the second, UVA uh, really showed the depth of its offense. They went on a 5-0 run, and Charlie Bertrand, Peyton Cormier uh, just could not be stopped for UVA. They were just moving the ball so well, especially with Connor Schellenberger and you know very little Doxic, and they were just doing so good moving the ball and it was really really great to see how well uh, how well they were playing so early in the season. Petey Lasala was also playing great for the Hoos. He was uh, he was winning the majority of his draws. He notched in a goal and assist as well. Uh, you know that's what really what really set the difference between Towson and UVA is that UVA was getting all the possessions either off the faceoffs or they were picking up ground balls on uh, in between the uh, but between the 40-yard line. So that's really what kind of set the difference between both teams. By the end of the third, UVA already had 18 goals, and the rest of the fourth quarter, it was just seeing what their third and fourth line can do. So end of that game, the final score would be 20 UVA, 11 Towson. Taking a look at the stats for UVA, Connor Schellenberger had seven points. He had four goals, three assists. Charlie Bertrand, the former two-time D2 player of the year, he transferred in and take his fifth year at Virginia. He had four goals and two assists. Payne Cormier, the big lefty, had six goals and assists. Xander Dixon, Regan Quinn both had a goal and assist. And Griffin Harris and Will Corey both had a goal. Like I said earlier, LaSala went great at the X. I couldn't find his specific stats on the faceoff X, but I think he went above 65%, and he also had a goal and assist. Another big notable player that didn't really show out for UVI, I think this was just because they wanted to see what their younger guys could do. Even Laviano, who in 2019 had like a 50-goal 50, 50 season, uh, he's one of the best crease attackmen, if not the best crease attackmen in college across. He didn't, he didn't register a point, so I'm not too worried about that. I think they just wanted to see what the younger guys could do. Taking a look at Towson, Brody McLean had three goals and two assists. James Avanzato had three goals, and Andrew Milani had two goals. Great start to UVA. They played really well, especially not having their two best players really playing. It really shows how lethal this team could be and how, how much depth they really have. And I really loved how well they were moving the ball around. So I'm really excited to see how UVA plays this year. Third game of lacrosse this weekend would be number four UNC hosting number five Denver after Denver just went off their uh, their tough loss against Duke. It was a nice Sunday morning game. I think everyone was anticipating a good game, especially how Denver was playing the past couple of games. 
couple days, and especially how UNC is just bringing back a fire, a loaded uh, loaded roster with a bunch of returners, and they brought in a couple new guys from the uh, transfer portal. Uh, first start off the game, Jack Hanna got his first goal of college across season. It was a nice goal he got in like the first two minutes, but that that uh, that celebration would quickly end for Denver as UNC proceeded to go on a 9-1 run after that goal. And what really set the difference from UNC to Denver is UNC has a insane 10-man ride. It's it's very scary. If I was a defensive midfielder in Collins Cross, I'd be very scared to go against it. They they are not afraid to hit you, uh, check you. You know, have a double, triple, even quadruple team at times, and get the do anything it takes to get the ball out of your stick. And they did just exactly that. They were able to capitalize on unsettled offense on transitions, whether it was whether whoever was running the point, uh, Chris Gray, Jacob Kelly, or Alex Strippy. They were just unbelievable on that side of the ball, and that's that's really how they racked up all their points. It wasn't just. Uh, UNC beating their defenders and just settled offense. It was that unsettled offense that really made the uh, made the difference in that game. And you know what what really killed Denver is that since they weren't able to clear clear well, uh, they weren't able to get the ball into their attackman's hands. You know, Jackson Moore wasn't able to initiate his offense. He wasn't able to find Ethan Walker, JJ Silstrop, and not having that settled offense really really killed Denver because when if they were able to get the ball over the midfield line their midfielders would be shook after just going through hell trying to get through that uh trying to get through that UNC ride and they'd kind of be ex- exhausted in a sense of how much they just had to work just to get the ball over the 50 uh get the ball over the uh 50 yard line and now now they have to actually score a goal and uh, all another thing hats off to that UNC UNC defense they you know they played super well they were able to, they were able to shut shut down uh Denver's high powered offense that we saw in in their game against Duke and what we expected into the college across season not what not what they've really delivered with that game against Utah that they've played like I've said earlier unsettled and you know not getting the ball into their attackman's hands and they kind of retracted and Denver attra- retracted in a sense and how they were really playing offense by halftime it was 14-3 UNC and by the end of the third quarter it would be 22 uh 22-6 UNC and I one thing I really liked about UNC is how much they really showed their depth whether it was their first second or third midfield line I felt like their first and second midfield lines could be run evenly and you know both of them could be could both midfield lines could be you know the best midfield line in any other college and just showing that they have two really strong and deep midfield lines is what's going to make a difference when it comes to you know those late ACC games you know how powerful the ACC is and how you're going to really need a lot of depth instead of more instead of let instead of less Less depth and more skill, which we usually see in teams. So having a really deep midfield, having two good midfield lines is going to pay off, pay off dividends, especially if they are able to get the championship weekend. Final score of that game would be 24-13 UNC. We'll take a look at the stats for UNC. Chris Gray, probably second best, one or top, probably right now he's playing as the best player in college across. He had six goals and one assist. My man Will Perry, former guest of the show, had a goal and three assists. I mean, that kid has a rocket. That kid could shoot from 17 yards out, and the the, the goal he'll never see it. Justin Anderson had two goals and assists for UNC, so did Jacob Jacob Kelly had three goals and assists. Ryan O'Connell, we got to see a little bit of him. He had a hat trick, and Connor McCarthy, the Princeton transfer playing for UNC, had two goals. 
Taking a look at Denver stats, like nice to see Jack Hanna have a nice bounce back. He had four goals and assists. Uh, Ethan Walker and Skylar Blair both had two goals and an assist, and Lucas Kotler had a goal, and Jackson Morrill also notched in two goals. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough week for Denver, as I'm not sure who they play next week, but um, you know they they have to go back to the drawing board, and I think this is great for UNC, even though. Even though it was just their first game, I think this is a great start off to the season, especially against a team like Denver. And for Denver, I think you got to give their hats off to them. They they played they played three games in seven days, which is not an easy feat, especially a tough game against Utah. Playing the number one team in Duke, and you know having to fight through that, and then having to have this Sunday game was probably pretty tough for them. So hats off to the hats off to the, to those guys. I think they're going to do great things this season. So I'm not too worried about Denver and what they do, but also great job by UNC. Last game of college across this weekend would be number one Duke hosting Robert Morris, and what not a way to end a weekend without a uh, unranked team trying to take over the most hyped up uh, lacrosse, college cross team of all time with possibly the two best players of our generation. So to kick it off, Robert Morris uh, starts the game on a five-one run, did the exact same Denver did to, did to Duke, which was. Exposes weakness at the face-off X as well as exposing their transition defense. And I think that's when Dukes is at its worst is when their defense is unsettled and the opposing offense is either in a fast break is either in a fast break or they have a extra man opportunity. And that's when really that's when you really see Duke's defense crumble the way it is and you kind of find the holes in the in the Swiss cheese and it's it's really easy for whatever team it is whether it's number five Denver or unranked Robert Morris to just uh pick apart their defense and uh and capitalize on it Duke still having some big issues with who to start in goal I know in their game against Denver they had Mike Adler starting in net but you know, Mike Adler let up seven goals in the first quarter so they switched to Turner Upgren and then Turner Upgren ended up having a good game and you know you have to give your you have to give it, uh, the goalie that whoever's having the hot hand you have to put in net so they started Turner Upgren this game against Robert Morris but uh, uh, Turner Upgren ended up giving up six goals within the first first quarter as well so they switched back to Mike Adler and Mike Adler started playing well and I, I this raises some question marks for Duke on what they're going to do and how who are you going to know is having the hot hand one game or are you going to have to let up a bunch of goals before uh going to have to let up a bunch who's going to let up a bunch of goals before to see who's going to be the starter I don't it's that's good that's pretty you're playing with dangerous waters there trying to find you know it's almost like a guessing game trying to find who uh who um who's the best goalie at that situation. And I think Duke's depth, again, saved them after going on a 7-0 run, running into the third quarter. Uh, Robert Morris was able to fight in the fourth, but they were uh, they were miscommunicating on defense, and the slides is what really killed them. I know Nakai Montgomery was able to capitalize on that and notched a couple goals for Duke. Uh, definitely not the start coach Danowski imagined for Duke playing from behind in both games, whether it was Duke or Denver. Final score of that game would be Duke 16, Robert Morris 12. We'll take a look at the stats. Camber Door notched in three goals for Duke. Nakai Montgomery had three goals and an assist. Phil Robertson and Dyson Williams both had two goals. Sowers did not register a uh, goal. He had three assists. And Terry Lindsay and Jacob Puto both had one goal. Robert Morris, Ryan Smith had three goals and assists. Austin Popovich had two goals and assists. Corson Keeley had four goals and assists. And Jake Bordreau had two goals. So, like I said, not the start Duke was imagining. I think they're going to have to go back to the drawing board this week, work on their chemistry, I think, is their big thing. Uh, I think keep on working with that Sowers and O'Neal chemistry. I think that's, I think that's you know, their best duo right now. 
uh, out of all their players and make sure their depth is just as, as deep as everyone imagined it, imagined it to be. All right, and now for my three takes from this week, and you know for my up for the upcoming weeks as well. So my first take is going to be, you got to remember it's February. I know we're all excited the college across season's happening. Uh, it's been almost a year that we haven't gotten to see lacrosse being played besides professionally, and you know college college the college game is what everyone looks forward to. And if we start picking apart these teams too much, we kind of are going to be contradicting ourselves later on the later on the uh, later on in the season because a lot of these teams haven't really got that much time to practice whether it was you know Denver, Duke, UNC they're not practicing like they would have been in regular fall they didn't get to play any outside opponents they've been really just playing in-house games whether it's what Duke was doing with the outdoor lacrosse game or just small scrimmages and if we start criticizing teams right now then we're going to be well, I don't know, who knows what we're going to be criticizing when it comes to April and May, but I think we got to realize that no team is going to be perfect right now. I know UNC and UVA had great starts, but if we start criticizing Duke as much as we are right now, we're going to be completely contradicting ourselves in May, and I fully believe Duke is the best team in the country. Maybe they weren't the best team in the country this week, but we got to remember it's February. Duke, you know, the past two years, they lost a high point, and they lost to uh, Air Force in the first first games of the season. So I'm not so worried about Duke on how they're going to play. I think they're going to figure out what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. Like I said, they're they're very deep. One of the they have a lot of depth, if not one of the if one of the best uh, one of the deepest teams uh, midfield wise in the country. So, like I said, remember it's February. Same thing goes for Denver. They might just be having a rocky start. You know going off that Utah game. They also played three games in seven days, like I said earlier. So I think I think the Pios are gonna bounce back as well. I think they're I think they're still very uh serious contenders and they also have T D Erlin on the way. So we gotta remember it's February, like I said, we'll uh the season will be unwrapping a little bit more. We're gonna have a lot of more team more teams playing this upcoming weekend and we'll kinda get more of a feel of what uh college across is gonna be like. My second take for today is going to be talking about UNC's depth. So from right now and just watching UNC play, I know I'm contradicting myself saying, like, remember, it's February. But as of right now, I think UNC might be deeper in Duke, especially in the midfield line. Just looking at their first midfield, you know, Will Perry, Nikki Solomon, uh, Jacob Kelly, Connor McCarthy, Cole Herbert, Parker Alexander, Lance Tillman. And that's not to include Chris Gray in their offense, as well as Tanner Cook. I it's it's just crazy how how all of these guys are you know could be starters in any other program and you know be the leader of their program but you know some of these guys are just role players for UNC and how well they fit into their system either whether it was the addition of Chris Gray or not these guys are so talented and they have just unbeatable chemistry especially in the first game against Denver it just felt like they were way more comfortable with the ball I want to say this again. Duke didn't really look comfortable when they were playing. They they felt like they it kind of looked like they weren't playing with each other. It was kind of just they got thrown together and they put a team together. And I think that's because UNC there's a lot of guys besides uh, Connor McCarthy who transferred in. All these guys have been playing with each other for three or four years. Duke it's kind of just like a, a one and done team in a sense. So I think UNC I think that built that uh, that chemistry that they've had 
uh, with the, one another is going to be really beneficial. And like I said, that's having a really good second midfield line that's almost as good, if not as good as their first midfield line, is going to pay insane dividends, whether it's the ACC championship or whether it's Memorial Day weekend. So I'm really excited to see how well this UNC team plays. And, and I, I'm firm believers that they could be uh, winners on championship weekend. My third and final take is going to be Virginia's efficiency. Now, first, starting off with the face-off X, I want to say that Petey LaSalle probably looked the most comfortable out of every face-off guy that I've seen playing college cross these past two weeks. He just looked way more comfortable and kind of and really knew how to use his exits and was really efficient on exiting. And that's been the biggest problem for these guys adjusting the news face-off due to these new face-off rules is that it's been way more of a scrum at the X and more about how your wing it's way more on relying on your wingmans than it usually is. But Pete LaSalle was really just uh, helping himself. He was getting all, he had, I think 14 ground balls. He was doing everything he needed to do. He was, uh, he was exiting cleanly. He was pushing transition. And just to start off that, just having a really strong faceoff guy, not to mention their second string faceoff guy, Gavin Ty, who was also playing really well, just shows how, this is creating way more opportunities for an already loaded Virginia offense. And you, you look at Virginia's offense right now and how they played against Towson with uh, Connor Schellenberger, Charlie Bertrand, Peyton Cormier, Xander Dixon, and, you know, they didn't have uh, they didn't oh Ian Laviano as well, and not having Matt Moore and Doc Aiken really playing is a true testament to how deep how how uh, how powerful this offense is. I know we everyone's talking about Duke off Duke's Duke's and UNC's offense, but Virginia's offense, man, that, that they they were playing amazing, and I don't think Towson was a bad team at all. I know they went zero and six last year, but they they were playing so well, and I think. I think Virginia is going to be one of the most efficient teams in the uh, in college across whether it's just uh, whether it's uh, in ACC play. I think they're going to or just regular se- uh, regular season or when it comes to ACC play, they're going to be one of the teams that everyone kind of slept on because they were there was a couple of question marks, especially in Doxey can play in football, but. If Doc Aiken stayed to play football, I don't think this offense would have changed too. Much. I I mean we really haven't seen him play, but. I don't know if it would be a huge loss as everyone believed it was going to be. And Matt Moore, also bringing in Matt Moore, and maybe Ian Laviano is going to be a little bit more efficient. I think they were, like I said earlier, they're going to be relying a little bit more on their younger guys. So Virginia is going to be really efficient, whether it's through transition and unsettled offense or on fast breaks or whether it's settled offense and they're able to run their offense and you know have their guys go run their sets. I'm really excited to see Virginia as one of the more emerging offenses in the ACC and in college across as a whole. And I think, I think inside Quint Kesnick had, uh, you know, this week, you know, quote unquote week zero, even though it's really week two, he had Virginia ranked as number one team in the country, right behind UNC and Duke. And I wouldn't blame if the rankings because college, I the they weren't doing rankings this week for, uh, for college across and. I honestly would put Virginia as number one as well, just because of how well they were playing. And they also have a stacked defense with Kyle Kologi, uh, uh, Jared Connors, and John Fox. It's just they seem like a team that everyone really counted out because Duke was the talk of the offseason. And of course, they, obviously they would be. They brought in a bunch of uh, a bunch of All Americans, and they had the number one. They had the highest rated recruiting class. But watching watching Virginia play this weekend really uh, really puts them in the mix as a act- very very serious contender for championship weekend. 
And this is going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, really appreciate if you're still sticking around and listening. If you don't agree with any of the takes I I made or if I missed something that uh, was pretty notable, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle's at low2highpod or send me a DM on Instagram. Be happy to discuss this with you. Really looking forward to doing these segments a little bit more, especially with college lacrosse starting up. You know, it's just, uh, just a great time, especially since the sport hasn't really been played for so long. So appreciate it again. Uh, get ready for next week's episode. Hope you guys have a good rest of your week.